growing up Filipino Catholic, you don't talk about sex. I mean, the only sex education I got from my parents was don't get pregnant. And I'm like, okay, great. But how do I get pregnant in the first place? Like, what is that act supposed to look like? I mean, there was absolutely no guidance about what that was like. Welcome to Taboo Tuesday on the Emotionally Fit Podcast. I'm Dr. Emily Anhalt, and I've always loved talking about taboo subjects. Sex, money, drugs, death. Because being a therapist has taught me that the feelings we're most hesitant to talk about are also the most normal. So join me as we flex our feels by diving into things you might not say out loud, but you're definitely not the only one thinking. Quick disclaimer that nothing in this podcast should be taken as professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Because while I am a therapist, I'm not your therapist, and I'm not my guest therapist. So this is intended only to spark interesting conversation. Thanks for tuning in. Hey there, Fit fans. A quick disclaimer before we kick off today's episode. We'll be talking to Joe Portia Mayari today about self-pleasure. It's an incredibly important topic that can be uncomfortable for people to talk about, even to their closest friends and romantic partners, which is why I was so excited to have Joe on. One quick personal note first, though. In the time since Joe and I sat down to talk all things sensual, Joe's teenager, who Joe often refers to in this episode, has shifted their preferred pronouns. Since Joe mentions her daughter often throughout the episode, we went back and forth about what to do. Should we scrap the episode entirely? Should we try to edit out the instances where she refers to her daughter? Ultimately, we decided that it's a great conversation about an important topic that so many people struggle with, and so we decided to put it out as is. And we're hoping Joe will come back for another Taboo Tuesday to talk about gender identity and what it's like as a parent to support your child in their journey to true self-identity. Okay, let's get into it. Welcome, Joe. Hey, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. This is such an important conversation that I feel like only happens in really specific places. And I think it's time to beam it out to more of the world. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. So Joe is a women's health and lifestyle coach who is all about radical self-acceptance. She was named one of Ariana Huffington's top 20 health and wellness role models. And she's partnered with brands like Nike, Adidas, SoulCycle, countless others. And Joe's journey toward self-acceptance was a complicated one, as it tends to be. She's both struggled with and celebrated herself and her body in all kinds of ways over the years. And Joe has amassed a huge following of people who look to her for inspiration as they take their own journey toward self-love and acceptance. She's pro-sex, pro-vulnerability. She's wise. She's a badass. And she's been called the queen of messy conversations, which I'm excited about because we'll be having one of those today. I'm so excited to be talking to her today about self-pleasure. That's right. Good old-fashioned masturbation. I am stoked. Or should I say stroked? So maybe start by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got to be this kind of icon of self-acceptance and talking to your kids about sex and being honest about the way you feel about your body and all of these things that you show the world. Yeah. So I guess we can kind of go like with the cliff note version. I used to work in tech for about six years and was overworked and overstressed and just losing touch of myself. And that's kind of where my wellness journey began. I remember back at when, I think it was like in 2013, my eldest daughter and I were in her room getting ready. And I looked at myself and she said, oh my God, mom, you are so beautiful. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm ugly and fat. And that look on her face is one I'll never forget because it was the moment where I knew as a woman, I could not ask my daughters to be the strong woman that I wanted them to become if I 
wasn't one myself. And that's when my journey of like radical self-acceptance started. And it all started off with just really nourishing my body with better food, moving my body and exercising. And that was something that was never part of my life. I grew up in an immigrant household and health and wellness was not of anything of importance of a Filipino family. What was important to me was like raising my kids. And that came first until that moment when I realized, oh shit, if I don't get myself healthier, who's going to actually be able to become that example for them? Yeah, I feel like especially with physical fitness, it's such a dichotomy. You're either extremely devoted to it and you work out every day and you're in perfect shape or you don't tend to it at all. And I feel like there's not a lot in culture about how to just have a slightly healthier lifestyle to walk more and to incorporate it in realistic ways. Yeah, yeah. I think what's nice, though, is that we are coming into this culture where we're starting to look at wellness in a much more expansive perspective, which is for me, it's like, oh, my God, finally, because for the longest time, I mean, I'm a Filipino American. None of the examples of health and wellness look like me. I mean, they were tall, lean, white girls. And so I remember growing up being 15 years old, which is my daughter's age now, looking at these examples and saying, I can't be any of those. They're not who I am. Where are women like me being healthy? Or what does that look like for a woman like me at that age? And I'm really glad that we're in a time and space where we're starting to diversify things and we're starting to see a lot more inclusion in that space. What kind of allowed you to do that? I mean, even that moment, I, I felt it viscerally, this look that you saw in your daughter's face, but the ability to know that and the ability to do something about it are really different. And I'm curious what allowed you to kind of take action. I think what made me take action was the fact that 18 months prior to that moment, I was going through depression and anxiety. And I was going through the same feelings that I was feeling when I was like 15 years old, experiencing mm. anxiety and depression. And when I was 15 years old, I attempted suicide. And so I just remember, you know, here I was 29 years old, locking myself in the closet crying because I was so over anxious. But everything on paper was like, quote unquote, perfect. Like I had everything. I was working in tech, had a six figure job. I'm married. I have two wonderful children. I live in the Bay Area and have a roof over our head. And still, I wasn't happy with the version of myself that I was becoming. And it was the moment like seeing my daughter and just knowing that like nine years old is this age where they're going to start to absorb everything that I say. And if here I am as a woman just expressing the self-hate or the self-loathing, I knew that she was going to absorb that from me because I heard it from my parents. And it was just something that I just did not want for my daughters. And so the change really ultimately was, yes, it was for me, but it was also really for my girls. It was for them to be able to see that there here's this woman who is working a full-time job, has a family, and can still make time to prioritize herself, which is super important. Important, but tough. It's hard. Like, how did you shift? I was living in the South Bay and then commuting to Oakland. So we had to shift the entire schedule. I was waking up, I think, at like 5 a.m. to go to the gym in Oakland right next to my office so that I could finish that or like get my workout in, prioritize that before literally anything in my day, and then go to work and leave at 4.30 so I still had time at night. So for me, like the morning routine as a mom wasn't as vital. That wasn't the most significant time of my day. For me, it was the evening time. Mm -hmm. For me, it was like being home with them at night, having dinner. And so my husband and I were able to really kind of shift what needed to happen in terms of the households so that I, I could at least prioritize myself. Yeah. And one of the things that you do that I think is so beautiful and I'm such a fan of is you show a lot of the world as you navigate these waters. 
there's just not a lot of censoring, it seems. Like you will show pictures of what you look like when you feel good about yourself and you'll show pictures of what you look like when you're not feeling so good about yourself. You'll talk about the beautiful things. You'll talk about the less accepted things. I'm curious what made you feel ready to kind of share this with so many people. Yeah, I think it was kind of like the start of my actual wellness journey. Like I said, I, you know, I was working in tech. I was a director at this company called Visco. And then I have a wedding photography business. And so I was basically a surround around art and tech. And that curated lifestyle of just having everything put together was just the thing that I think I just wanted to slap perfection in the face. And when I came out and said, here I am with depression, here I am going to try to get my health back and try to become this healthier version of me was the moment where I really stepped into, you know, what Brene Brown says is the arena, right? And like, you're just in there with just the shit and the messiness. And that vulnerability, that rawness was something I know we we just needed. And for me, when I don't sit in my truth, I, it almost like reverberates in my body. Like I can mm. actually feel the repercussions of not sitting in, in alignment with my truth. And so I think just, I don't know, I, I love sharing the messiness of my life. I think it's one of the things that we just need to see more of because there is this like overly manicured and curated perspective of what everyone else's life is about. And so to me, it's just important. It's just, it's just a way for me to be able to like pave that for my girls. Yeah, I think that's so important. And, you know, as it pertains to this particular episode, one of the areas that you're really thoughtful and transparent about is sex, not only sex in general, but sex as it relates to our sexual relationship with ourselves. And today we're talking about Mm self-pleasure, masturbation, all of these things that are just really not spoken about much. Tell me about your own journey of not only becoming more comfortable with this privately, but also becoming more comfortable talking about it publicly. Well, (laughs) that's really funny. So I think (laughs) talking about sex privately has always been really difficult for me, mainly because growing up, the only kind of like sexual education I got was like shame sexual education. Mm. It was shame filled. And, you know, I remember like having my period for the first time and mom wouldn't want to like really talk to me about it. I remember she had me like a box of like period care stuff that you basically got from school. And she just was like, here you go. And I'm like, I don't know what the hell to do with this, Mm. you know? And I just was so lost about it. And then on top of all that, just growing up Filipino Catholic, you don't talk about sex. I mean, the only sex education I got from my parents was don't get pregnant. Mm. And I'm like, okay, great. But how do I get pregnant in the first place? Like, what is that act supposed to look like? I mean, there was absolutely no guidance about what that was like. And so I knew for myself, especially entering motherhood, like I just did not want to raise my daughters with the same sex education that I received. And what would it need to look like for me to be able to step into that light to provide them an education that was shameless and was open and had curiosity filled with it versus you know, what we traditionally know as sex or sex education, which is like abstinence or just, again, filled with shame and guilt. So talking about sex has always been really hard. I mean, I remember for years, it took me forever to even open up a conversation about sex with my husband. And it wasn't until maybe about a year and a half ago where I really started like asking myself, wait, why is it that I am so uncomfortable about this topic? 
And when I started to really peel back the layers, I realized that a lot of it was just due to conditioning and family programming of like what it meant to be a woman to own her pleasure, to own her own sexual experience and to even like pleasure herself or to even just dive into this idea of touching herself with like love, Mm. you know? Yeah, I feel like our sex education, in addition to feeling very shame-based, is also very technical, as though the only thing we need to learn is what goes where, instead of here's how you might feel, and here's what is a good and safe thing to feel, and here's what you might feel that tells you that you're not in the position that you want to be in. And there's just no emotional sex education at all. Right, 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 right. So yeah, that was kind of the opening of Pandora's box, Mm -hmm. so to speak. It was like the question of like, why (laughs) am I uncomfortable with this in the first place? And if I am uncomfortable with this, how the hell am I supposed to teach my daughters? How am I supposed to guide them through what I believe, like, you know, I believe like embracing our sexuality is also embracing our body autonomy mm-hmm. and all ownership of our bodies. And if I can't provide them with some sort of guidance of understanding of that, like, what the hell am I going to do? And where are they going to get that information? So what did your own journey with that look like? (sighs) So, I mean, it started with getting curious. I mean, I've always been like really curious about sex in general. I mean, I've always been pretty sexual and that was pretty, the journey was always like pretty confusing, I think, mainly because when I was eight, I was molested by my uncle. And then when I was 15, I was raped by my ex-boyfriend. And so those experiences, really kind of tainted what it meant to own my body because I didn't know I could own my body in general. And I remember, you know, after my rape at 15, I was like, it was was going through therapy, but I was also like highly confused about like owning my body and knowing like, oh my God, well, I want to experiment with sex and I want to explore with sex, but is this okay? Mm. Am I allowed to? Wait, am I supposed to like it after something like this happened Mm. to me? I mean, it was just such a confusing state. And I remember for a little bit, I was like dating around and having sex with like men, not even really realizing whether or not I was giving it to them or if I was taking it for myself. Like it was Hmm. this weird, like, is this something I'm I'm offering or am I getting offered this? And it wasn't until my husband and I really kind of talked about all the different layers of even just our own sexual experience of trying to understand, wait a second, you're telling me that as your wife, I'm supposed to be giving you sex? Like, there's something wrong here, Mm. you know? And like, we had to take a pause for a second to understand what is intimacy versus sex, even in our language of our relationship. And when we started really peeling back the layers of that was when we really started to really define that for ourselves. And then it took like understanding the layers of the sexual trauma and those types of messagings and the programming there and what I was bringing into my relationship. So it was a lot of peeling back of like all these different layers to really understand the innocence behind it and how to actually get curious with it again. It's interesting because I think, and I actually think this happens a lot, which is we learn about sex with another person first. Yeah. Rather than learning about sex with ourselves first. I think if we were given the permission and encouragement that I think you're working to give your daughters to do that exploration with you first, which is the safe place to explore. And then we can do that experimentation with another person. That would be better. But what often happens is we feel like we have to stay away from it until all of a sudden we have all 
these other person's needs to understand right. before we've even learned our own. Right, right. Oh my God, I'll tell you this really funny story. I asked my 15-year-old daughter, so my eldest daughter is now 15. We were at like Whole Foods and I was like, so do you have any curiosity about masturbating? Like literally in the middle of Whole Foods. And she was like, oh my, oh my God, mom. No, I don't want to talk about this to you. Yes, but no, we're not diving into this conversation. (laughs) And I just was like, holy fuck, we just had this conversation in Whole Foods. At least she said yes. Oh my God, yeah. Clearly she feels safe in some way. I mean, it was great. It was was such a great opening to be able to be like, hey, let me just fuck. Like, I mean, as a parent in this modern day age, really there is no right time to like sit down with your kids. And when you have that inkling, I don't know, I just say go for it. Mm -hmm. Go ask. What the hell? Why not? Like as the daughter, go ask the parent or that's the parent, go ask as the, the daughter. Parent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and great, granted, like my daughter and I have a very different relationship. We have a pretty open and honest communication in our house. But I think, you know, just one tip to the parents listening out there, like get curious with your kids. It's okay. And you don't have to have things completely perfectly wrapped up in a pretty bow. Like if they know that you are imperfect, they're going to realize that their imperfections are okay too. Mm -hmm. And I think it sounds like something you did, which makes a huge difference is starting to get comfortable with it yourself first. Yeah. Like I think about, I see a lot of couples, so there's a lot of sex talk. And if I'm uncomfortable with the conversation, they're not going to have the conversation. They have to see I'm really comfortable with it. And so doing our own work first. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about the ways in which you are trying to bring more awareness and permission and openness and beauty to self-pleasure and masturbation. I think one of the ways that I'm, I'm, I'm just having a lot more conversations about it on social media. I think as a mom, there's this really weird thing that happens when you become a mom. And maybe this is just my own experience. But according to some of the other mothers that I've spoken to, they've some of the ones, some of my friends have experienced the same thing. When I became a mom, like there was this part of me that felt like I had to shut away like my sexuality or like mm. put it in the closet and just like, oh shit, my body does, is not mine. My body is my child. So like, Like my breasts aren't mine. They're like fed to my kids, right? And so, you know, that was something that I had to definitely, like that programming and that conditioning and that story, I had to really unravel for myself. Like, why do I believe this way? Who told me this in the first place? Why is this the way that it is? And the moment that I was able to peel that back, I was like, whoa, wait a second. I can be a sexual creature and a mom too. And so the ways in which I'm having that conversation right now around self-pleasure is inviting moms to really understand and and women, but mostly in the motherhood space, like, hey, you have the ability to step into your role as a sexual creature. And that was not something that needed to be taken away the moment that you became a mom. Those roles can coexist at the same time. What do you make of that? I mean, I I have my ideas, but I'd love to hear. What do you make of it that there is this common feeling that your body now belongs to your kid and it wouldn't be okay for you also to be a sexual being independent of that? I mean, I lived that story for some years. And now on the other side of it, I'm like, man, why the hell did I like subscribe to that story for so long? I think it's kind of bullshit. (laughs) I really think it's bullshit. I think it's bullshit that we have to separate ourselves like that. I mean, we are a whole being. We need to integrate all these pieces into our lives so that we can find some sort of harmony or balance, right? And the ebb and flow of all these 
parts of ourselves. And so, I mean, that's what I make of the story. It's just bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine, too, your body changes so much when you have yeah. a child. You have to get to know yourself all over again. Exactly. Exactly. And I, that's one of the things that I coach with a lot of women who do come to me for sexual empowerment coaching is I, I talk about getting curious with the body again and getting to know yourself in a way that just feels pleasurable and not necessarily just for performance. And I think that's maybe one of the hardest parts about the idea of self-pleasure or masturbation and like what you were saying earlier, how, you know, the education that we had is just kind of like the step-by-step type of thing. Mm -hmm. And it's always for performance, always to get something done. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I think it's all about, you know, really having a relationship with yourself on a physical level and knowing what feels good, knowing what fabrics feel good, knowing what like oils feel good or scents turn you on or things like that are just are so important also to just the idea of self-pleasure. I love that. And I love that you're not just talking about orgasm because I think that's another way that everything is very technical as mm-hmm. though the only goal of self-pleasure is to get to orgasm or the only goal of sex is to procreate. No, it's not just to procreate, but it's to get to orgasm. No, what about just pleasure for the sake of pleasure with no destination right, in mind? Right, right, Yeah, like I think it's, I mean, it's funny because there are times where like I will, I used to have like, Thursday mornings where I'd block off like a couple hours of my day after the kids were like off at school. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not doing any work. And I'm lighting up a candle. I put some music on. I close my doors. I put on a silk robe and it's like just me time. Mm. And I will lather myself with oils. I know it's a little luxurious, but like lather myself with oils and just like lay there in bed and just like literally just massage my body. And just like see what feels good, see what tension feels good, see what feels great. And, you know, it's just it's a, it's a way for me to explore the depths of myself that I haven't explored before. Yeah, I was thinking I, I read somewhere that one method of self-care is to treat yourself with the same holistic respect that you would treat a baby. And by that, what mm. they meant is you never just lotion up your baby's arms That's no. and that's it. You know, you take the time and yeah. you make sure every part of them is cared for. And, and we just so rarely do that for ourselves. Like, yeah. Even masturbation is often so much about like, all right, let's get this done. Right, right. Rather than taking some real time for yeah. yourself. Yeah, I love, I love that. I love that notion. Amazing. So what are some things that people could do if this is not something they were really given permission for most of their life and they are starting to think it's a journey they want to go on? What's a maybe a safe-ish feeling place to start? Yeah. So one of the things that I have recommended to people is go have sex with yourself. Uh, get a, get a <laughs> candle, put on some music, do this after a shower and to just start with like the neckline and move downward. Feel what feels nice to you. Feel what touch feels nice to you. Give yourself a moment to like soak in some really beautiful massage oils and start there. Start at like your shoulders, start your decollete and start massaging down to your like breast or whatever. And just to kind of like just feel for it and to not have any expectation of anything. Mm. Just to really touch yourself. Because I think sometimes what gets lost, especially nowadays with digital media and everything else and the way that we connect, we don't ever just actually have the the opportunity to be touched sometimes by ourselves or other people and not in a sexual way, but just touch in general, Mm -hmm. right? And touch is just so therapeutic and can be so soothing and so healing for people. And so oftentimes I always like say, just start from the neck down. It doesn't even need to mean anything. Just see what feels good. Mm. And that's it, you know? And then if you're ready to explore lower, then get there, but no pressure. 
I love that. No pressure to even go there. It just makes me think of self-soothing in general. Like I think about how I don't know that we're taught how to and given permission to comfort ourselves. even. Like I think sometimes when I feel anxious, I'll touch myself the way I would want to be touched as a kid by a parent, like on the arm or, you know, giving yourself just a, a concentrated moment of comfort and reassurance with yourself. Yeah. These things are just not taught to us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I love that. I love the idea of like, I love that idea of like, Self-pleasure can be a self-soothing act. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I look at self-pleasure as part of your self-care act, roll it into one, you know, but I love the idea that it's like this idea of soothing. So it's like if 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 pleasure, if something that's pleasurable is supposed to be joyful, it also could be soothing, right? So that could be a way for somebody to be invited into that space and, and a way for them to think about what it could look like to pleasure themselves. Mm-hmm. So I kind of want to zoom out a little and, and ask, why do you think this topic is so taboo. Why is this something that people don't talk about more? I mean, for many reasons. It was funny because I was looking up who made the vibrators. Uh, I just wanted to know the history of vibrators. And it was actually made because, well, like back, I think in the 1800s, they developed a, a mechanical tool to help cure women of their hysteria yeah, and to like shake them up. Right. And I just thought it was fascinating because I was like, wait, so guys created a vibrator to cure women from their hysteria because women were being overworked and becoming crazy from the jobs that they were like tasked off by men. So I think like part of the reasons why we don't talk about self-pleasure is because of fear. Mm. A lot of it's fear. I think, you know, if we can create fear amongst like what it means to actually own your body, then we have power and control over one another. Right. And so to me, I just think fear holds us back from pushing ourselves forward and fear holds us back from wanting change. And so the reason why these things aren't talked about is because what does it mean for a person to own their body? Mm. That means they have full autonomy. Mm-hmm. And if you give full ownership to somebody about what it means to take their own pleasure, then holy shit, like what's going to happen, right? Like we're scared of that. We don't know if we can handle that. But the reality is it's like we need to give people the ownership to be able to understand what their bodies can do for themselves. I love that. And I think it definitely has a really unique and important meaning to women. And I think that you've really been out there talking about what it means for women. But I'm curious what your thoughts are for boys and for men, too, even though I think it's a little more sort of accepted for them to joke and talk about it. I still do see a ton of shame, a lot of shame from boys and men who masturbate in self-pleasure. And what are your thoughts there? Well, you know, it's interesting because I remember having a conversation with one of my girlfriends because I have daughters. She has a son and she had told me that her son had been um, masturbating and she remembered the conversation we had. And so rather than like getting shocked and be like, holy cow, like, you know, here you are doing this thing. She was just like, okay, let me just let him do his thing. And then having a conversation about it later, Mm. letting him know that there's more sex education to see than just what's on porn and on YouTube. And she was able to provide her son with different resources. And had it not been the conversation that her and I had about what masturbation could look like or shameless sex education could look like, she would have done the same thing that her parents would have done for her, which was to shame this whole situation. And so to me, I think like... Yeah, I think for everybody, men and women, we just need to be able to boldly have conversations around topics like this so that we don't perpetuate the same issues that we've had from generations and generations and generations in the past. Yeah. And you've made such a good point, which is the burden of sex education has fallen so squarely on porn. 
Yeah. It's huge. I mean, the majority of people's first real confrontation with sex is through porn. Right. right. And that's really problematic because porn is made through such a very particular angle. And yeah. what what would it look like for people to be talking about these things earlier and with their parents and the people they trust and at school? It's a shame that's not how it goes. Right, right, right. Well, it can start. That's true. It can start. It can start. Absolutely. Well, how do you... Maybe I'll take this from two angles. One, how do you wish your parents had brought these things up with you? And and thus, how might you recommend people talk to their kids about this? Because it is touchy and it is a weird, complicated thing. I think even someone really comfortable with their sexuality, I think, could understandably have some qualms about being like, hey, son, like, are you jacking off? Because you should be, you know, <laughs> like it's hard to <laughs> it's hard to broach the conversation. So what do you think? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. First off, I love you for that. <laughs> that was hilarious. Um <laughs> You know, I the sex education, the the sex conversation with my kids, no matter what age, I think is going to be uncomfortable. I remember having trying to have this conversation with my daughter the first time when she came home with like the sex education paper of like, oh well, you know, we're about to go in this this topic of at school, like we're about to start talking about sex ed, and I'm like, oh great shit, I have to have this conversation with her, and I just remember feeling on un- super uncomfortable with it, so. If my parents could do things differently, I really wish they would have like seen the permission slip that I was handing Mm. them about like sex education and just kind of knowing, oh crap, this topic is coming right around the corner. And to just sit with me and to ask if I had any questions about it. Because on the flip side, like from from now being a mom and having that experience with my daughter, the way in which I approached it was like, oh, crap, like here's this conversation. We are going to have to have this conversation. And I basically asked her, I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'm signing off for you to have this sexual education course at school. And I know you guys are going to start talking about sex and intercourse and all those different things. Once you guys are done with having that class, if you have any questions, let me know. Hmm. Yeah. And that's pretty much the how we had the conversation the first time. It was based on, I'm just going to leave the door open so that you as my child know that you can walk through this door any given time. I love that. It's like you gave her your own permission slip. Like, yeah. This is here for you. If yeah. and when you want it. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I was so uncomfortable. I, I remember drinking a whole like half bottle of wine before that conversation. <laughs> and we didn't even talk about like vagina or penis or anything like that. But I was so nervous as a parent because I was like, am I fully equipped for this? I didn't have the education I knew I wanted for this. And I'm probably not going to have the same information that she's gaining on the Internet right now. So how can I have this properly? But I think the most important part is just to leave the door open and have it open for them to walk through so that when they are ready, like they know that you can be a trusted resource as a parent. And even if they never decide to walk through it in a concrete way, I really believe that just knowing that's an option really shifts their relationship to that subject Yeah, in such an important way. Yeah, yeah. And I think too, that also helps them just understand like anything afterwards can be an open conversation. And like, you know, when she started going to high school, Thankfully, in California, like we're so progressive, especially in the Bay Area, but they had actually an actual workshop on dating, consent, sexualities, different genders and all these different things. And I and her and I actually sat down with it and went through the worksheet together. And I just was like, I love that the schools are doing this. And now I can actually sit down and have that conversation with her a little bit deeper 
than I would have ever had. And I just, I'm glad her and I was able to talk about what consent looked like. And we're still having conversations of what that could look like. I also think about how much more likely she will be to come to you if she's ever in trouble. Oh my God, I hope so, yeah. Or needs support. Yeah, yeah, we've told her plenty of times, like, you know what, we know that you're going to experiment with sex, alcohol, drugs eventually at some point in your life. Or you may not, but we know that option is there. But I do hope that you will call us if ever you need any help, you know, so... Yeah, that's amazing. I was thinking too, I was talking to a friend of mine who has young kids and that our sexuality starts a lot younger than people tend to realize. You know, we might not be thinking about sex as kids, but we discover our bodies really young. And I think the way parents even react to that is so important. Like, you know, little boys, little girls, anyone, they start playing with themselves pretty young. And I think if there's this reaction of disgust and fear that sends a message Mm -hmm. versus like, hey, that's something that we do privately in our room anytime you want, but it's a private act or something like that. Right, right. I also think labeling the body parts with the proper Mm -hmm. labels is extremely important. I mean, growing up, uh, again, like growing up Filipino, like we had nicknames for our body parts. I mean, they were called Bekbek or like Titi, which is Titi is like dick and or penis and Bekbek was vagina. But like the actual scientific terms were never written in our foreign, in our actual native language. And so, you know, that's one of the reasons why my parents, I think also didn't provide me proper sex education. It was never even written in their language. So how can they actually have this discussion about it? And it's like Voldemort. It's like you're not actually supposed to Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I'm curious, how does it feel to talk about it now in this moment, but just in general? Like, are you completely comfortable with it? Is there still a discomfort you kind of hold away a bit? Yeah, there are still some moments. You know, it, it was interesting. I was I, on on my Instagram stories talking about and I was actually I was actually on a webinar talking about that one of the wellness trends is going to be embracing our sexual revolution. And I remember feeling just so flush about the idea of like giving all these stats that like women masturbate, like just all these like stats. And I just remember like thinking to myself, oh, my God, why am I still so flush about it? You know, like I'm still so nervous to talk about it, but I think that's just going to take time to like really reprogram who I am as a woman and being able to boldly speak about it openly. (laughs) I love that. There are all kinds of medical benefits. I mean, yeah, it's a stress reliever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All those all those like healthy chemicals that just come bursting into your body. Amazing. We should just keep doing it all the time. What else do you want the world to know as you've started to explore this stuff yourself? Hmm. I think like the only thing that I want the world to know about just self-pleasure in general is that it's really an act of self-love, you know, and I think the more and more we can learn how to treat our bodies, mind, body and soul in all different areas in a way that is like loving and coming from a place of love and curiosity, the more that we could teach other people how to respect us and how to treat us too. Yeah, that's lovely. And in addition to it being an act of love, it's also a really safe act of love in the sense that this is a way to get to know something in a context that you have control over, that, you know, all of the risks of sex aren't there. And I just, I really wish more permission was given to young people and, you know, everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To take that for themselves. I mean, maybe that's just the hot tip that we give, you know, like after this podcast, just go masturbate. It's a solid hot tip. Yeah, it's all hot tip. <laughs> just the tip. Just to see just how it the feels. tip. 
<laughs> okay, so the way I end my podcast is I am going to give you this list of kind of taboo questions. Alrighty. Read them over. Pick whichever one sort of calls to you. It can be a similar topic that we're talking about today or it can be something totally different. Read it out loud and then answer. Hmm. Okay, this one's hilarious. If you could choose exactly how you're going to die, what circumstances would you choose? Okay, this is a little bit morbid, but for whatever reason, <laughs> driving off a bridge, <laughs> like, I, tell me more. I, I, you just you just see it in like action movies, and you're like, that looks really crazy. Like, first off, like, how fast do you have to be driving to like actually crash into the concrete center divide mm -hmm. to like then like also then crash off the bridge? But the whole like free falling idea, it just the movies make it look extra dramatic. Mm -hmm. So I think I would like a dramatic way to go. My partner and I want to have a dress as the way you want to die party for oh. Dia de los Muertos. Nice. And we already have friends who are like, I'm going to come as though I've been attacked by a grizzly bear. I'm going to have a broken rock climbing rope. Oh my God, amazing. Uh, I, I want to be sniped. My partner wants to be sniped huh. because it's just the least... You know, um, at least expecting anxiety provoking yeah. thing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here I am going, like, let me just, like, get, you know, the one that has the most planning. <laughs> but it's also, you know, it's maybe for the wrong reasons, but it's got kind of this glory about it. This, Very true. You know, you're in the midst of some chase, some oh, high yeah. speed yeah. action. Yeah. I mean, thing. It's, I'm telling you, it's dramatic. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. dramatic. I like it. <laughs> Thank you for your candor, your transparency, your willingness to talk about something that I think a lot of people can't talk about. And I feel like you have more than likely given a lot of people permission to lean into an act of self-love today. So yes. thank you for your time. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Emotionally Fit, hosted by me, Dr. Emily Anhalt. New Taboo Tuesdays drop every other week. How did today's taboo subject land with you? Tweet your experience with the hashtag EmotionallyFit and follow me at Dr. Emily Anhalt. Please rate, review, follow, and share the show wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is produced by Koa, your gym for mental health, where you can take live therapist-led classes online. From group sessions to therapist matchmaking, Koa will help you build your emotional fitness routine. Head to joincoa.com, that's joincoa.com, to learn more and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at joincoa. From Studio Pod Media in San Francisco, our producer is Katie Soonku Wood. Music is by Milano. Special thanks to the entire Koa crew.